sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The better way to solve this problem would be for Democrats to support what they supported in the past and give this president funding for better barriers, which we need. So the president, one, has the authority. Yes, it is an emergency that has been shown before. And I believe at the end of the day, this wall is going to be built, not sea to shining sea, but about 200 miles. We need to secure our border. We need to fix our horribly broken legal and illegal immigration system. And so, you know, hopefully after this, uh, this impasse now is, is over in terms yeah. of funding the government, we can sit down on a bipartisan basis to start solving these problems and fix our systems. And now, Stacey Washington. Wow. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for making your home at American Family Radio. I'm also so excited to report that I'm going to be broadcasting from CPAC this year. It's my first time ever actually being invited to broadcast as one of their broadcasters. In other words, they're providing the means for me to do so. And I have a media registration, which means I'll be all over that puppy. Pray for the sister in the Lord, Stacey Washington, that I would be strong of ankles because all that running around usually, you know how it is, you fly in somewhere and then you spend the whole time walking and your feet just hurt so bad. So I'm wearing comfortable shoes. I'm only packing cowgirl boots, the ones that have already been broken in. And I'm ready for this puppy. I'm so excited to get to do it. And um, so I want to quickly go to the phones with someone who held over from last segment. Thank you so much, Joe, in Arkansas. Thank you for holding on and uh, for listening to the show. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you for taking my call, Stacey. And what I called about was you were discussing the founding fathers and slavery with the first Mm -hmm. guest in the previous hour. And uh, I wanted to make this comment about that. And that's this. Uh, The left are famous for working by incrementalism. They might know that they can't get everything they want all at once, so they try to get a little bit at a time. And that's what I see the Founding Fathers did with the issue of slavery. They found they couldn't found the country. They couldn't get all the states to agree to go into the Constitution and ratify it. You know, by getting they, they found they couldn't get rid of slavery all at once and still form a country. So they did put things in the Constitution to gradually discourage and eliminate slavery. Uh, Like, for instance, they confined slavery to the southern states where it was already existing. Um, They put put it in the Constitution that uh, for the purposes of the census, for the purposes of determining congressional representation, a slave would be counted as three-fifths of a person so mm-hmm. that the slave states would not be able to outvote the free states in the, in the, in the Congress. Yeah. And then later on, of course, and, and they, uh, I think they also prohibited any new importation of slaves. And uh, then later on, I, I think they uh, prohibited slavery in the newly formed states after mm-hmm. the original 13. Uh, things like that. So, in other words, they tried inc- they they set the country up so that incrementally slavery would be discouraged and reduced and finally eliminated. Uh, so they were doing the same kind of things the left wing do, wingers do by working by incrementalism. And so the left wingers are a bunch of hypocrites by for criticizing the founding fathers by doing things incrementally that way instead of giving it instead of giving getting rid of slavery all at once, which they found impractical to do. It's true. And the points that you're making are ones that are regularly misrepresented in media. Like when people talk about the three-fifths compromise, that slaves were counted as three-fifths of one person, people say that's because the the founders felt that slaves were less than people. No, they knew they were people, and they knew that for every one of them. So slaves are are a different kind of thing that people claimed to own back then because you could actually make more slaves by – 
having slaves have children, right? So you could literally just start off with 100 and then end up with many, many more than that because the slaves are people. Even though they were property, they were still people. They could still reproduce. And the way that you've just laid this out, it's so clear that they they basically said, this is evil. How can we stop it? We can't, we can't stop it now, but how can we stop it at some point? And they did it. The, that's the part that I just don't understand. And I am descended from slaves. So this isn't an issue of me being from Jamaica or Haiti or someplace like that and not understanding the issue. I know my history. I know when my ancestor who was sold into slavery arrived and I know where he was sold and where he went. And I know the first member of that line who was free, who then went on to have my granddad and no, he went on to have my great granddad and then my granddad and then my dad and then me. And I also know on my mom's side of the family, how they entered the country. They were free blacks from Europe and they came here. And so I know all of that and I don't discount any of the things that happened. And I've heard the stories, my father, my grandfather, they've shared with us some of the things that they went through growing up in the Jim Crow South. It's just, it's the kind of stuff that you can let it make you mad. This, this is, this is the trick of the enemy. When history in your own personal family, when you hear it and it, it literally makes your blood boil and you can feel the water welling up behind your eyes and you think, I can't believe you went through that. You, the enemy can take that and turn it into a seed of resentment and anger and hatred, and he can rob your current blessings from you. The flip side of everything that I just said about knowing all of that is that through all of that, I get to be an American. And through all of that, you have all of these family members of mine, all of these men going down to my father and then me and my husband also as a veteran who served the U.S. military because they wanted to, every one of them a volunteer, everyone, some, you know, some of them actually being, um, you know, hit with enemy fire and earning, you know, medals, decorated military veterans and retirees. There's, there's more to the story than just the slavery aspect. And what I'm watching a lot of people, what's happening to them is they're being sold a bill of goods because you're descended from slaves. You have to be upset with America. You have to hate this country when we're in reality, however you got here, I I can tell you there's, what did we say? 42 million people in South America who, if they could have the history that black Americans have here, no questions asked. You're a citizen. If you commit a crime, you go to prison, you come back out, you're still a citizen. When an immigrant commits a crime, when they come out of prison, they're subject to deportation. Being a natural born citizen of this country gives you rights and privileges that just immigrating here doesn't give you. There are 42 million people who, if they could trade with the 38 million, 40 million blacks that are in this country who we're all citizens, they would do it in a heartbeat because it would give them something that they can't ever have being a natural born citizen of this country. And so I hate, I hate the slavery. I hate it. I hate that that's the history, but I have to thank God that that history led to me being an American, to me being able to serve in the military, to me being able to claim this country as my birthright, to my kids being able to claim it as their birthright, that English is my first tongue, the Queen's English, by the way, none of that shibboleth and ebonics and all that stuff. That's an affront to what my ancestors went through to get to a place where they could speak proper English and have the respect of everyone that encountered them. 
And, and so it's a very, very interesting um, thing that we're watching where we're seeing black people who have college education, some of them even, you know, they're lawyers or they're doctors. They have these fantastic, really their accomplishments go before them. They've, they've done the work, but inside them, they're fixated on race and race relations between blacks and whites, even if they have people that they work with. Because I guarantee you, if you're, if you're a lawyer or you're a doctor in America today, you're 90% chance you're, you work with white people. You, like you're, very few areas of this country where you can be black and be in the professional sphere and not be working with white people. So are you saying all those people are racist too? Or is it just every other white person that you don't know? Or is it just the fact that white people out there, some, some people have been foolish, that that means every other white person is tainted by that? We, we can't, I mean, can you really honestly accept that as a way to believe in your heart if you don't want people to do the same thing to you? I don't want other people who see me walking around in a store to think that I'm there to shoplift just because I'm black. And so you don't want white people to be seen as racist just because some there's, there's a racist one place that you encountered at some point. And yes, I've encountered racism. So it's an interesting thing. It's just, you know, how did I get here? How did I get to be a citizen of this country? And if you trace it all the way back, and for everyone, not everybody knows that. Like, not everybody has had someone in their family. I, I just happened to, on one side of my family, it was an aunt who did the work. And then on the other side, it was another aunt who did the work. And they're, I mean, they're not particularly close. They're in the same family, obviously, extended-wise, but they're not particularly close. And then my husband and his family, an aunt of his, went through and did all the work and found, I mean, they, they have their history laid out, too. And it's just interesting to look. You go back through and you see, you know, I look at the, there's some American Indians in there. There's some, some white people in there. And you look at all that and then you realize this, this is how God brought me here. This is how I got here. And God's provision has provided for me to be here in a place of blessing and ultimately in a place of, you know, where I should be having gratitude, not for the slavery, but that God has worked it out for my good that I get to be a citizen of America. And, and it should be so patently clear to anyone, whether your parents were refugees. I just stumbled upon an account this morning. To be honest with you, I clicked on the Instagram account because the woman was stunningly gorgeous. So it's a black woman. She's an attorney. And as I began to scroll through her Instagram feed, I saw all of these posts about um, the injustices that blacks in America experience in our justice, justice system. And she's a criminal defense attorney. And as I was reading through her posts, she also had pictures of her mom and her dad from way back in the day. They're black and white pictures and they're beautiful. And one of them is from Sudan, her mom, and the dad is from some other really tiny country that I've never even heard of, but it's on the continent of Africa. And her hashtag was refugees. Uh, um, I, yes, I am an immigrant. Um, and then she, in each post, she posts something about how hateful Donald Trump is. She has a lot of posts on there about how Donald Trump's extended family are using chain migration to become naturalized citizens of this country, but he's against chain migration. So there's a lot to unpack there. We could do a whole hour about why it's not hypocritical for the president to want to reduce chain migration while his family's taking advantage of it, because we're seeing terrorists come through the country through chain migration. His family members are not terrorists, hence there's a delineation being made there. But that's, that's, like I said, that's a whole nother conversation. I was reading her posts and, and flip it, you know, so Instagram is obviously it's photo driven, but the, you can type in a bunch of, of text underneath. 
And as I was reading it and seeing, I mean, this is this is a woman who she has a lot of followers on Instagram and she's gorgeous. And she's taken advantage of everything that there is to offer here in this country from the educational system to uh, the ability to use social media to grow her business, political activism, whatever she want, has wanted to do, she's doing it. But I also felt like there's a sense that she's here to take what she can get. She's here to utilize and take advantage of whatever is offered. And it takes hard work to do that. She's an attorney. So obviously she had to go to law school, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also this sense that she's downgrading America and she hates, she, she really hates America because somehow there's something tainted about it because it was started by whites and she feels like white people feel it's for whites only or something like that, which I personally could feel, I, I, I couldn't feel like that's further from the truth. Um, so I just, the, the enemy wants to, wherever you have a blessing, wherever something is good and pure and right, and it doesn't matter because we're all human beings. So we don't have any pure stories that we can tell where every single person in this story was upright and never did anything wrong and was sinless and sin-free. There's only been one sinless man, one sinless man, and that was Jesus Christ. Every other, the rest of us, we're all full of sin. So even when we're operating at our highest, best, we're, we're, we're in the, the, we're walking in blessing, we're walking in obedience, we're doing everything right. We're still depraved sinners in need of a savior or we're saved by grace and we're walking that out. And so if you, if, if you look at it that way, how can there be any perfect story? How can there be any perfect anything? There can't. So the enemy wants you to focus on that imperfection and then start assigning blame and seeing all of these horrible, this kind of horrible American and that kind of horrible American and this injustice is because this person is black as opposed to this injustice that's happening to people who are incarcerated for minor offenses and they're being charged these outrageous bail amounts while rich people are getting away with raping people and getting $5,000 in bail and 90 days in jail and then they walk off and continue their life. That's not an issue about race. It's an issue about socioeconomics. It's an issue about in justice in the justice system that has to do with who can pay for the best representation. It's, and so not everything is about race. But if we allow the enemy to steal the blessing, then we won't see it. We'll only see the bad things about where we are. We're, there'll be bad things everywhere you go because humans will be there and every human is fallen and full of sin. We got to do better than that as Christians. All right, when we get back... We'll take your calls at 866-963-2037, and we'll be talking about Hungary and their Christian uh, center. All right, stay there. Like, I wanted to have the abortion because I was trying to hide a situation. When a young mom in crisis walks into a pre-born pregnancy center, she's welcomed with open arms and given love, support, and a free ultrasound to meet her unborn baby. This young woman not only chose life for her baby, but heard the message of Jesus Christ and was comforted from the guilt and pain that plagued her. Preborn centers lead the nation in providing free ultrasounds. When an abortion-minded woman sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds, and 100% of your sponsorship goes towards saving babies. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. 
Your love can save a life. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. The political drama in Virginia might just be a preview of a wild, contentious Democratic primary. In fact, Rich Lowry believes we might be seeing the beginning of the first woke primary. To be woke is to be alert and sensitive to any injustice, whether real or perceived. A governor had an image of someone in blackface in his medical school yearbook. That apparently was enough to call for his resignation. Democrats in Virginia faced a growing problem. The publication of an image in blackface in the governor's yearbook was followed by an admission from the attorney general that he had used blackface as well. All the while, accusations were swirling around the lieutenant governor who was accused of sexual assault. We've been told to believe all women. If so, then he would have to go as well. The controversy in Virginia is merely a preview of a woke primary where any mistake or misjudgment, even in the distant past, can be disqualifying. Any misstep will be viewed through the most hostile lens from a radicalized base of Democratic voters. Rich Lowry concludes the Democrat nomination battle might as well be fought on the campus of Oberlin College and officiated by the director of Office of Equity, Diversity and Inclusion. White male candidates don't stand a chance. Senator Elizabeth Warren has been criticized for pretending to be a Native American and forced to apologize. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand was confronted on television because a number of years ago she used the term illegal alien. She said she was embarrassed and forced to apologize for a term that was in common usage at the time. And even Senator Kamala Harris has been criticized because she was once a prosecutor. This may be the most contentious and controversial primary season we've ever seen in America. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. You know, we think that uh, our country can only be strong if uh, we stick to our identity if we stick to our heritage when it comes to history, religion, or culture. It is even uh, said in our constitution that we are proud of all this heritage. We are proud to, be, to have a rich Christian culture and, and a rich uh, history. Uh, in Europe, there are certain endeavors which suggest that Europe can only be strong if the member states of the European Union get rid of all of these things, national identity, Christian culture, whatever. And our position is no. European Union can only be strong, and Europe as such can only be strong again, if the member states are themselves strong. And in order to be strong, you need to stick to heritage and you need to, uh, um, you need to be proud of your roots and your descent, all this kind of stuff. So, um, when it comes to Christianity, for example, uh, we have understood and recognized and acknowledged that Christianity is the most persecuted religion all over the world. It's a fact. You look at figures. It's a fact. And, uh, and that's why we have created a uh, state secretariat, a separate state secretariat uh, in our administration, which has only one portfolio. And this portfolio is to protect the Christian communities all over the world. Hungarian Foreign Minister Peter Zijarto uh, speaking about mass immigration, which is creating in his mind parallel societies within Europe and undermining security. And Hungary has chosen to go the opposite route. They've decided to embrace their, uh, their Christian roots and to make it plain and evident that they're a Christian country. So 
if you choose to come to Hungary, which they're also making that very difficult because they feel like the mass migration has been detrimental to their society, then you would be coming knowing and making the choice to live in a Christian society. Now, in and of itself, that sounds like something that would be a deterrent to some people who are, uh, you know, fundamentally practicing Islam. And so it would be against what they would want to do. But if you're practicing Islam as a means of political uh, overthrow, as as a way to take over a nation, then you would still say whatever you needed to say to get in. And then through over time, incrementally, you take over a society by having your birth rate be eight times that of the uh, you know natural population. And by then, once you reach a certain mass, getting elected to parliament or, or Congress, or just like what we're seeing here with Muslims going into Congress and wearing the hijab and, and presenting themselves in a very anti-American fashion, immediately delineating themselves as being against our key ally in the Middle East, these are the types of things that they would begin to see in Hungary if they allowed this to go on. And what's so unique about their situation is they're a largely homogenous population, which in America we no longer are. And that's due largely to immigration. So it's it's just interesting to hear him talk about this. He goes on to talk about parallel societies being dangerous. And, and remember, he's saying it's wrong to push aside Christianity and national identity. He And I have three clips from him. We have two more to go. This next one, he actually goes into um, the the what the parallel society looks like. And I want you to listen to this. And in your mind, if, if you can think of anywhere in America where this is happening, you'll just kind of put a pin in that, make a bookmark in that. And of course, you can always call in 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Here he is at number two. Whenever we understand that there is a um, Christian community somewhere under pressure, under torture. Then we act immediately. We have spent altogether 25 million euros recently uh, to support the Christian communities in the Middle East and in Africa to be able to get stronger and to be able to stay. Bishops uh, representing uh, uh, these churches come to us and ask us not to invite the members of their communities to come to Hungary, because if we do so, then we will contribute to eliminate those uh, uh, communities, which is basically the target of the uh, of the terrorist organizations. So, you know, instead of, in, you know, encouraging them to leave, let's help them to be able to stay. So that's why we spend on reconstructing the houses which were ruined uh, so the, the Christian families can move back. We, we um, uh, rebuild, reconstruct their churches. Now, currently 42 uh, in Lebanon, for example. We uh, covered the expenses of, uh, of five hospitals uh, for them. We reconstructed a lot of schools of them, you know, so we rather help them to stay because this was their request. So instead of fighting each other over whether or not vaccines are efficient, effective, or whether anyone should be allowed to say you should get vaccinated or not, we should be understanding that the real battle here on immigration is a eternal one. He Did you hear what he said? He said, the bishops in the Christian churches there in the Middle East, they say to him and his leadership and his government, don't invite my Christian congregation to come to Hungary. Because when the Christians come to Hungary and see your good Christian nation and no war and no, no conflict, they won't, well, they won't come back. And then, so what happens in the Middle Eastern countries? That means there are fewer and fewer Christians. Well, how does the gospel go out if there are no Christians present? 
So do you see the purpose, the civil war that's going on there, Bashar Assad and Syria, all of that? These are all moves that are meant to upset the ability for Christians to live in these Muslim nations. Then the Muslims are eradicating the Christians. They're, these, they're not just waging war, civil war style. They're using the war as an excuse to kill Christians and destroy their houses of worships, of worship, their neighborhoods, anything that they can do to make sure that the Christians can no longer live there. And so what is the natural response to that? If you were a mom with kids, you're married and you're a Christian in a Muslim nation and you find out that you can move to Hungary, why wouldn't you want to move there? So he's saying, not only do they want to reduce migration, but they specifically want to rebuild the churches and the neighborhoods and the roads and bridges and homes and hospitals in the Middle East where Christians have previously dwelled so that Christians will remain in the Middle East so that there will be the gospel going forward in that, in that land. This is something that's super important for us to understand. If we can take off our battle armor for Facebook for five seconds, if we could just put all that down and just think about this is, this is the issue here for our immigration policy for our country and taking in refugees from the Middle East. Why are we taking them in? We're already spending multiple billions of dollars in the Middle East. Why not spend that money targeted and directed to rebuilding and making safe areas if we're going to have soldiers there, why not win what we're doing over there so that the Christians can remain? Not because we hate them or we don't want them here, but because we need Christianity in the Middle East. And because we can't take everyone in here. Our country is not suitable for taking in everyone. Whether you're practicing Islam or Christianity, that, that's, that's not our job. America is not the waiting room for prosperity for every other person on the planet. So I saw that and I just thought, you know, he's making these wonderful points. He says they actually are spending the money that, you know, that they can bring people in and do social programs for them in Hungary, or they can support Christian communities all over the world as a matter of their own personal responsibility. He says Victor Orban has therefore created this state secretariat that all that secretariat does is work on protecting Christian communities in Syria and Iraq. And they're making it possible for them to stay where they're in their homeland. And, and that's the other thing. So if you're told, yeah, you can move to Hungary and you're going to need to learn to speak the, you know, the language there, you're going to have to start over again. Uh, but it's safe and that's your only option, then sure, you're going you're gonna to jump on that because at least you can still practice your faith. You can still be a Christian. But if you're told, you know what? The Hungarian people want to help you rebuild your, your city, your town. They want to help you rebuild your church. They want to help you stay in your homeland, the place where you have your history. It's hard for us to imagine as Americans because we don't have a, a history of many, many different wars on our, our lands, especially in the modern era. But can you imagine, you know, being from wherever you live and, and our listening audience and, and it being war-torn and some foreign land saying you can come here and learn our language and start over again. And you would basically be saying you're turning your back on America and you're never coming back here. Or you can stay here in America and rebuild. I know for my part, my intention would be to stay here in America and rebuild and stay in the, the land of my fathers and my, and my father's fathers. It would be to stay here. It would be to remain in my home of origin and to make sure that it was made safe so that my kids, my grandkids, hopefully 
would be able to continue on in the American tradition. And so if I feel that way, certainly Syrians and Iraqis and others must feel that way as well. So we have to change the way we think about this. And I, I'm not a pastor. So before I make this next statement, let me just make some caveats for those who've already got their little hands crooked over their laptops and you're going to email me and tell me I'm not a Christian. You can email whatever you want. I can't stop you. But I'm going to go ahead and give you the disclaimer. I'm not a pastor. And what I'm saying, it does not bind you to do what I tell you to do. But it is my opinion that in America, because there's this NGO organization that funnels money from the federal government to Christian churches for helping to resettle refugees, that we are being used by the enemy to strip communities in the Middle East, the best people that they have, some of them, that we're, we're placing them here in America. And they're supposed to be in their home country. They are supposed to be there. These doctors, lawyers, physicians, none of their, their uh, certifications transfer over to the United States. So they're driving cabs here. They're opening up businesses, selling, you know, the type of food that comes from their country. These are professionals who should be back in their home country, rebuilding and leading the resurgence of those nations. And as Christians partnering with the federal government, we have to really look at what is the federal government paying us to do? And what is the outcome? I'm not condemning anyone, but you can hear from what he said that this is, it is not being done in the way that it should be done. Um, it's not being done in the way that it should be done. So, okay, I've lost track. We listened to number two. Have we listened to number three? if my producer could type in, um, because I want to talk a little bit about, okay, so I'm a little off on my show sheet because of the discussion from the first segment, apparently. So I want to listen to Hungarian foreign minister, Peter Zarto talking about the people who have moved into his country. And so he's not saying these are Christians. He's talking about generally speaking, the majority of the migrants who've moved in have exhibited a certain kind of behavior and it's really important for him as a leader in that country to identify this type of behavior and to prevent others who would practice the same kind of behavior from coming in. It's number three. If you look at the Western part of Europe, you'll see that parallel societies uh, have been created. So um, it was kind of a dogmatic issue to speak about uh, social integration of migrants as a huge success story. And if you pointed on facts which deny that, you were stigmatized immediately as anti-European, anti-humanitarian, anti-everything, as a bad person, as a bad person. And uh, during the last years, it turned out that, that uh, parallel societies uh, represent a huge, a huge security risk, a huge security threat. Uh, look at the Western part of Europe. In the last four years, there were more than 30 major terrorist attacks committed by persons with a migratory background. Uh, more than uh, 300 people were killed and around 1,400 injured. That was not the phenomenon. That was not the phenomenon before uh, 2015 in Europe. You know, so before this whole uh, migration crisis broke out. So uh, parallel societies constitute a huge security risk, and those who moved in uh, under the framework of this uh, mass migration. Uh, show total disrespect towards uh, Christian culture, towards the communities living already in those uh, countries. Just to give you an idea, uh, symbols 
of Christian faith were forced to be removed uh, from public areas just because it was suggested that that might um, insult the sensitivity of those who are not Christian. I mean, but how you come to do that, you know, uh, to remove the, to, to make a decision to remove the cross uh, from the monument of John Paul, Pope John Paul II in France, you know, for just, just to give you an idea, you know. And to be clear, um, you know, so if, if to use the example that I gave before of Americans being forced to leave America because of war and occupation or et cetera, if we went to another country and we demanded that anything that wasn't of the same vein as what we left in America be removed so we weren't offended, most countries would say, no, your country has fallen and you're over here by our good graces. Yet European nations don't say that to people who they're begging for a place to stay. When your hand is out and you're begging, you don't have the ability to dictate terms. This is what I have been discussing over and over and over again. I've made this point about Mexico, how they dictate terms to us, but everything they have almost hinges upon American ingenuity and us putting our jobs there and buying things from them and leaving our border open. All we have to do is cut them off. You know how it is. That analogy works also with the, you know, the prodigal son or prodigal uncle or whatever family member. They've always got their hand out begging for you to bail them out. But then the minute you look like you're about to help them, they start making demands. Also, I can't believe you're, are you trying to tell me what to do? Everybody knows loans and money come with strings attached. Except people who have their hand out or their hat out who want the loans and, and, and the money and the rescuing, right? So how can a people who need rescuing, who are begging for sanctuary, dictate that you can't have your Christian symbols up if they're coming to your house, which Hungary, that's the Hungarian's house. So he makes a really good point there. These people were allowed in and they disrespected the culture that received them and then brought in terrorism with them. Killed and maimed, you know, maimed 1,400 people, killed over 300 with threats of more attacks to come created no-go zones and parallel societies and have really, you know, it's like someone coming in and they say, I just need a place to stay for the night. And, you know, I'm sick and I'm, I don't feel well and I'm, I'm hungry. You bring them in and you feed them. And then they start rearranging your furniture, throwing out the food that you've cooked, you know, throwing out things that your resources, uh, they kick your dog, they put your, you know, your, your pet birds out and they, they throw your cat out the window and you're like, what are you doing? They burn all your books, set your furniture on fire. You would probably not be okay with that. Yet that is what we're seeing happening for Middle Eastern migrants going into European countries. And it's happening here in this country. It's okay to say we don't want that. It's not racism or xenophobia. It's just honest common sense. All right, when we get back, we're gonna be talking about uh, this ambush by the drug cartel. Stay there. Here's what you've missed on Airy the Addisons. A former house church pastor, Brother Fu, is talking about what's going on in China. He's talking about the Chinese government, how it's made its plan clear that they want to change Christianity in China into what they would call Chinese Christianity. Fu said that there would be a retranslation or a summary of the Old Testament with some Buddhist scripture. Mm and Confucian teachings <laughs> and new commentary for the New Testament. Airing the Addisons, weekday morning, 6 to 8 Central on Urban Family Talk. Now, if you're offended by this story, 
You should be offended by any new presentation of the gospel mm. under any ethnic on, covering. Yes. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But the reason we sometimes miss it is because we prefer us. Mm. There is no new gospel. Man. Dexter's Dexter's. What's happening in our cities, what's happening in our government, what's happening in our churches, this mess that's going on in the United States of America, the reason for it, the blame can go squarely on God's people. God's not expecting the heathens of the world to do his work here on earth. That job goes to you and to me. Time to get back to God. Weekday afternoons at 4 Central on Urban Family Talk. The church has to take the lead in ensuring that men are properly trained for fatherhood. We have an epidemic in which boys are not growing up with their fathers. So as Christian men, we have to stand in the gap and make up the hedge so that our communities are not destroyed. When we see fatherhood as a blessing and not an inconvenience, we will see children as spiritual weapons in our arsenal. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com Media Minute with Howard Kurtz. President Trump holding a raucous news conference and announcing his emergency declaration. Took him kind of more than 10 minutes to get to the point. Clashing as usual with CNN's Jim Acosta. But when the president was asked about his conservative media supporters, he said, Rush Limbaugh, great guy. He can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. Sean Hannity, a terrific, terrific supporter, but he says he's supporting my views, not me personally. And Ann Coulter, who's really turned on the president over the issue of illegal immigration, the president saying, I don't know her, I haven't spoken to her way over a year, but the press loves saying Ann Coulter. President acknowledging she's off the reservation, as if to prove the point, Coulter going on KABC radio and saying, look, the only national emergency is that our president is an idiot. Uh, this gives a lot of attention to people like Ann Coulter. It shows you the president really is sensitive to what people on the right and the left say about him, and he's not shy about handing out praise or criticism, as he did with Acosta. With your Media Minute, Howie Kurtz, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'll tell you this, the drugs had gotten so bad in my six and a half years working in Southern Arizona that literally they had to provide every police officer on the department with Narcan, which is, a, which is something that you use on a person as they're overdosing on heroin or a downer. You give it to them and it brings them back to life. Every police officer had to wear that. Fentanyl had to have that on them at, at all times. Fentanyl became so bad in Southern Arizona that every single police officer when we test drugs, we have to be outfitted with a full bodysuit with a mask on because we didn't know if there could be fentanyl contained in drugs that we test, normal drugs that we normally test. And if it get onto your skin or you inhale it, you can die. It is 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine. And they don't want to talk about that. It's not only a threat to the community, but it's a threat to law enforcement. What comes with drugs is crime, gangs, guns, murder, torture. All of these things are apparent in Southern Arizona and is moving all across the country. Oh man, so that's Brandon Tatum and he's a former police officer. And as you can hear, he's an expert in this arena. And I just, when I heard this audio, I, it's, it's kind of, 
It's crazy pants, isn't it? To hear of a drug that's so potent that you need to wear a suit to go into the room because if it touches your skin, it could kill you. This is what our law enforcement are dealing with. And, and so the, the question for me, it always goes back to, do we have to? And I know that might sound like for some people, you know, you're, you're kind of like, yeah, we have to because everyone, everyone um, understands that crime exists and it's always going to be around. There's always going to be criminals around. And I, and I get that. But I kind of look at it this way, too. Look, you know what? Look, <laughs> if we can stop the fentanyl from coming in or we can reduce the amount of it that's coming in, why wouldn't we do that? If we could just say, you know what, our guys are, we have certain police officers and certain police departments, certain immigration and customs enforcement agents, et cetera, et cetera, who have to do this work and they have to work in this way. Uh, There's no way around it. Okay, so be it. Let's preserve the law and order. Let's prosecute the wrongdoers. Let's, uh, you know, bring in the criminals and, and, you know, let's, let's do that. But if we could find a way to reduce the incidents, why wouldn't we do that too? And that is what the wall is purporting to do. That's, that's what we know it does because we've seen it do it in other areas where we've built wall. We have hundreds of miles of wall already built, so we know what it does. We have an idea of what this, what this is, right? So then former police officer Brandon Tatum goes on to say he's sick of politicians playing games with our lives. It's number five. I'm sick of the politicians playing games with our lives. This is not a game. These are real people having real crises on the border. These are real people in America who need to be protected. The wall is not immoral. They never said it was immoral in the past. There's already a physical barrier there. It's just not effective. And, I'm, and I'll say, I'll make this point. When you have a house, you have a, just say you had a front door on your house and it wouldn't latch. You don't just leave a broken front door on your house that doesn't latch and then hire a security guard to protect it. It will make sense for you to replace the door and make sure that it latches so you can use the security guard to do other things. That's exactly what's going on on our border. We need to secure the border so Border Patrol can be utilized in other facets. We can use technology and everything else, but you have nothing without a physical barrier there. And we've been talking about this. And so you might be thinking, well, why, you know, the reason why I would spend time listening to Officer Brandon Tatum, well... First of all, he's he's affiliated with Turning Point and he's been at the Blexit, um, you know, the the thing with Candace Owens. And he's I really I, I hope to meet him at CPAC when I'm broadcasting from there it's just to shake his hand, possibly exchange information. So p- perhaps we can bring him on the program. But it's important to hear from those who have spent their time in the trenches doing this work. It, it is so important to do that. And, you know, I, I have a lot of respect. Obviously, my father's in law enforcement. I have a lot of respect for people who do that work. They make the choice to do a job where they're literally putting their life on the line on a daily basis. And not only do they have to put their life on the line, but it also means giving up the security from your family because your family knows every time you leave in the morning that that could be, you know, that could be it, um, as opposed to other jobs that are much more safe. Now, clearly, only God knows uh, the number of our days, but it, it is a more dangerous occupation. There's no denying that. But he's speaking to what most Americans have been able to successfully ignore, which is how dangerous the drug cartels have made America. 
And so we still live in relative safety and prosperity. I'm not denying that. But what I am saying is that parts of our country are becoming more and more dangerous. And to support that assertion, I have this piece about a cartel ambushing Mexican soldiers near the Texas border. An ambush by gunmen from a faction of Los Zetas killed one Mexican soldier and injured two others in Nuevo Laredo. Three attackers working for a convicted terrorist also died in the incident just south of Laredo, Texas. The attack took place along the highway that connects Nuevo Laredo and Monterey. Moving in various SUVs, a team of gunmen with the Cartel del Noreste faction of Los Zetas attacked a convoy of soldiers patrolling the streets of Nuevo Laredo. The shooters killed one army lieutenant and injured two others. Citizen journalists using the Twitter account El Pueblo 2 or La Voz del Pueblo, the People's Voice, warned residents away from the Palmares neighborhood when the ambush began. A video recording shared by the same individuals captured the sounds of the clash as the two sides exchanged gunfire. Under the leadership of convicted terrorist Hector Raul El Torre Luna Luna, the CDN has once again advanced their tactic of silencing local news outlets to keep the organization out of public view. None of the local news outlets in Nuevo Laredo reported on the weekend shootout. Now, El Torre, the operational leader for the CDN, is wanted in the U.S. for a grenade attack against the American consulate in Monterey. The CDN is working to inspire terror throughout the border states of Tamaulipas and Nuevo Leon by dumping ice chests with human remains and written threats to their rivals. Does that sound like what we want happening just over the border of America because these cartels are fighting over the ability to deal drugs? So, you know, I don't often offer kudos or uh, any kind of positive comments about the Mexican government, but clearly, the reason they're clashing on the border is because the Mexican military is trying to stop them from dealing drugs into this country in areas where there's no security, where we've not yet secured our border. Do you, do, do you see what's happening here? Even when we get Mexico, the nation, to act as they should, they're now losing men. They're now losing their, their people. So... It is so important for us to remember that um, and, and to support border security, which we've not seen. Uh, we've not seen we've not seen the border security. We've not seen the kind of support from inside of our country that we need to see. So um, I know we have. So we if you're watching the live stream, well, you're probably not getting this right now because we had. um a little bit, I think. Oh, no, it's still there. Awesome. Perfect. I just wanted to give an update just in case. So also, there's, in addition to that, there's the idea that if we let the Mexican drug cartels operate as they have been, you know, on there, and I know we're not letting them, we're fighting them, but if, if they have the kind of foothold that they have, what's to stop terrorist organizations from bringing drugs into the United States through the southern border? And Every time someone on the right makes an assertion about that, every time someone says, hey, you know, this could happen, this could lead to that, an unintended consequence of A could be B, 
then people will say, that's not true. That's not going to happen. You're just fear mongering and you just hate blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? We said quite a bit ago, we said that um, there was a possibility that women and girls could be raped in Target restrooms if um, they opened up their bathrooms and let any old person go into any old bathroom. You know what happened? Just recently, a 10-year-old girl was sexually assaulted by a man in the female restroom of the Target. So if you can't say to someone, if an employee can't see a man going into the restroom and say, excuse me, sir, you can't be there. If they can't be challenged because all he has to do is turn around and say to you in his deep baritone voice, I'm a woman today, then what, what can you do? If you can be fired for asking someone to step outside of the ladies' changing area with their phone, then you're not going to say anything. And they're going to go in there and they're going to take those pictures from underneath the little, it's, it's nothing but curtains separating you in there. So it's up to us as parents to say, first of all, I'm not going in there. And I did have some people, um, I had some, I had some people who were like, you're just, you're fear mongering about Target. I, I still shop there. My Target still has individual bathrooms for males and females. Yeah, they may. Your Target may be one of the anomalies. Maybe your manager has their head screwed on straight and they're like, I'm running my Target the way I want to. You know, don't come down here corporate because I'm making money. My store's in, in, the, in the black. That might be true. You, but Target is engaging in this scurrilous behavior and allowing men into women's restrooms, men into women's changing areas, and they already have a bad record as a retail establishment of having people attacked in their stores, out in, in between the shelves, out in the open areas. They already have this record. I have the catalog of the Target attacks, which I need to update with this newest attack. Sadly, um, it's on my blog, StaceyOnTheRight.com. People go there all the time and they look at it and like, I had no idea. I've had some beautiful, beautiful people, you know, you know how it is when you're at school and you see the other moms and you're like, oh my gosh, you're so cute. Your kids are so cute. And they'll say, oh, I got that. You know, what do you, I'm like, where'd you get that so cute? Oh, I, I got a Target. I'm like, girl, you still shopping at Target? I haven't been in there in five years. I'm like, why? Why would you not go into Target? Is there something going on? I'm like, oh my gosh, you, you don't know about them letting the men into the women's changing rooms? I'm like, oh, my kids are small. We don't try on clothes. Oh, well, I don't shop there anymore because of that, because I think it's wrong. And AFA has a boycott and I signed it. And so, yeah, I'm not. So, you know, spread the word. Tell people the reason why you're not shopping there. The petition is located at AFR.net and you can sign it. It's still a thing. Like just because we're not talking about it every day doesn't mean we've changed our minds. And I'm going to tell you, if you're new to the show, you've never heard this. If you're not, if you're old with the show, like you've been here since Saturday radio and Sunday radio, then you've heard me say before that that was my Zen place. I had even started buying groceries there and I'm a stickler for pricing on groceries, but I had started buying the groceries there because I found myself in Target at minimum every two weeks and I would be buying other things, mainly for the kids. And then I would pick up a few grocery items. And so I was kind of saying, well, I'm buying this at Target now on the list. I'm like, you know, for Target I would move a couple items over to there. And so the local grocery store was, the business was going down for them and going up for Target. And I can tell you how much money we've saved since we stopped shopping there because the impulse buys aren't there. They don't sell clothes at the grocery store. So I'm, they don't sell um, like dishware and stuff like that at the grocery store. So I don't have to worry about getting outside of what it is that I'm supposed to be at the store to buy because I'm 
in caps with, you know, pictures of celebrities on them holding white pitchers, which I collect Ironstone. And I'm, you know, I'm going outside of what I'm supposed to be buying. And that's all personal stuff. Like you, there, no one's to blame for that. But Target is to blame for running me out of their store and losing my business, which I felt was pretty significant as a middle-class family because they just have to be social justice warriors. And the end result is 10-year-old girl sexually assaulted in a Target store. She, her parents, her family should sue them into the ground. But that won't bring back what was taken from her in that bathroom. And in the end, you know, it's the parent's responsibility to decide. It is the mom and the dad. You decide where you're going to take your kids to shop, where you're going to do stuff with them. And if you decide you're not going to do that, if you're not going to be responsible, then, you know, by all means, sue if you want to. But I just, I'm, I'm wondering, did they know? Did they know that the men were allowed in the bathrooms at Target? They know there was a battle raging between those who believe that women and children should be protected from predators. Not all men are predators, but you have to have societal systems set up that protect the weak. Yes, I said it that protect the weak. Women are the weaker vessel. Children are ultimately in need of protection from the adults in their lives. They have to have protection. Those adults protect them from the outside world and people who would do them harm. So, um, oh, someone on the, one of the chat streams is saying we have 1.5 million signatures. We can use about another million. He's right. Oh my goodness. I can't believe we don't have like 500,000 of these. So, that's the program for today. Thank you so much for being here with us on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. God bless. Be back with you tomorrow. Citizens, enjoy your evening.